One thing, one thing that I want to start by saying about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is we are going to see Him all over the place in the Old Testament today. Um, but it is also true that the communication of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was communicated a little bit differently than it's communicated in the New Testament. It's almost like comparing Matthew, Mark, and Luke with John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are focus on the account of Christ's life, where John talks a lot more about the theology of Christ's life. In the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit popping up in people's stories, in people's lives. lives. Uh, we see a lot of instances where it just says, and the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he did such and such. In the New Testament, we see a lot more theology behind the Holy Spirit in his work. Um, in the Old Testament, we're still going to see a lot of him showing up in the Old Testament. And we're actually going to start all the way back at the beginning. Would somebody like to read Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2? First two verses of the Bible. Okay, so the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So we see the Spirit is there all the way from the beginning. From the very beginning of time, very beginning of creation, the Holy Spirit makes His appearance in the Word of God in the Old Testament. Now we obviously know He is eternal, He is infinite, um, but as far as hearing about Him in the Old Testament, He's right there at the very beginning. We don't... We don't see him randomly appearing halfway through the Old Testament. He's right there in creation, um, appearing for us to, to see his name given. Um, in fact, it's the first individual person of the Godhead that we see. We doesn't say the Father, doesn't say the Son or the Angel of the Lord. It says the Spirit. That's the first person of the Godhead that we actually see recorded in Scripture. Now... Um, not only is he there at the very beginning of time, the very beginning of creation, he's also there at another beginning. Somebody read Job chapter 33, verses 4 through 6. And then somebody else, put your finger in Psalm 104, 40. The first one we'll look at is Job 33, verses 4 through 6. The second one will be Psalm 104, 40. So whoever gets to Job first, please read that. Yeah, Job 33, verses 4 to 6. The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. If thou canst answer me, set thy words in order before me. Stand up. Behold, I am according to thine wish in God's stead. I am also formed out of the bed, out of the plague. Okay, so uh, whose beginning do we see? The Spirit in here, in this passage. What did the Spirit of God do? Who's beginning? Elihu's. Okay, so Elihu. Now Elihu is basically stating a um, role of the Holy Spirit, where we see the Holy Spirit being involved in the creation of a person. It says, the Spirit of God has made me, 
When we're in the womb, the Holy Spirit is there forming you. Then he says, the breath of the Almighty gives me life, even from the very beginning. The breath of God was put into Adam and into Adam, and he became a living creature when he received the breath of God. So here we see the breath of the Almighty, the Spirit of God, is there at the very beginning of each person. You know, I just like the way he says it in verse 6 in my translation. It reads, Behold, I am toward God as you are. I too was pinched off from a piece of clay. <laughs> you know, you just kind of think of, think of a, somebody for, molding like either a pot or some sort of figurine, and you just pinch off a piece of clay, and then, you know, and you pinch off another piece of clay. We're all kind of pinched off by God and formed into whatever He wants us to be made out of. He takes off a, a hunk of clay and makes each one of us, God Himself, and more specifically in verse 4, the Spirit of God is doing the work of making each person who comes to life. <laughs> Body and soul, it appears in this passage. Who has Psalm 10440? Yeah, 10440. Yeah, maybe I have the wrong maybe I wrote down the wrong thing. 104. Psalm. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Let's see, 104. Hmm. I must have mistyped that. Computers. Yeah, right? It's the computer's fault. Yeah. Um, I don't like it when that happens. I'll have to look that up again later. So I'm going to see here. Thirty. Let's see here. What does that say? Oh, there you go. Yes. Go ahead and read it. The whole thing. You send forth your spirit; they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. Yeah. So he says here that um, when the Lord sends forth His Spirit, we're created. So, I mean, it's, you know, and you say you renew the face of the ground, um, talking about renewal. Um, but in, you know, in the case of the first half of this verse, he's talking about the Spirit, who is the creative being here, um, the creative power of God, the creative person of God, um, sent forth in the creation of both all that is and every person that is. So there are the Spirit, the beginning of creation and the beginning of each person, according to the Old Testament. This is the theology that, of the Spirit that the people in the Old Testament were receiving from the Word of God, that the Holy Spirit is there when things are made. Now, as far as getting back into... Well, let me, let's, get to, let's get to that later. Uh, somebody look up... Well, let me read this one. John chapter 3. Now, this is not in the Old Testament, but we have to see who Jesus is talking to, and we're going to see um, theology that he is just expecting this man named um, Nicodemus to have already known from the Old Testament. So John chapter 3, Jesus is having a meeting with a man named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, He's supposed to know the Old Testament inside and outside, upside and downside. And Jesus is talking to him, and starting in verse 3, it says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things? So here he's teaching Nicodemus. Okay, so you have physical life, which we've already seen. The Spirit actually has a part in. Um, and then we, he's talking also about spiritual life, the life, the eternal life that endures before God eternally. You must be born of the Spirit if you will stand before God. Okay, so he's talking about the Spirit's role in our salvation, in our redemption. And he's, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, Are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Remember, Nicodemus didn't have the New Testament. This theology of Christ on the cross and substitutionary atonement of Jesus' blood, the Messiah, the Son of God coming to earth. I mean, this stuff is in the Old Testament, actually. I mean, those prophecies are in the Old Testament. The teaching, the teachings of mercy and grace-bound um, atonement from God and forgiveness of sins from God is in the Old Testament. We're going to see some of those passages as we go through this subject of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But we see Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you should know these things. You're supposed to know the Old Testament. You're supposed to know that salvation is from the Lord, specifically by His Holy Spirit. So, in the Old Testament, we understand that as Jesus was teaching, that the Spirit is there when a person receives salvation or eternal life. Jesus is recognizing before Nicodemus that he is ignorant of these truths, even though he's supposed to know the Old Testament. And, you know, granted, there was some mystery enshrouding it a bit, but this man should have seen it because he is a teacher of Israel. His whole life has been bathed in learning it. Are there any questions up to this point? <laughs> I'm going to pause from time to time just because, like I said, today is going to be somewhat of an information download because um, we're basically giving answers to a pretty general question. Any questions so far about anything that's been said up to this point? Okay. If not, so, so far we've seen the Spirit, Holy Spirit was in the Old Testament from the beginning of, of time, from the beginning of creation. The Spirit is there whenever a person is created. The Spirit was and is there whenever a person is given eternal life. And number four we're going to look at today, look at Numbers 14.24. Numbers 14.24. So who would like to read that? Numbers 14.24. You can read more than one passage a night. <laughs> Especially since there's only five of them. But my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants will possess it. Now, we've read in Ezekiel before that when the Messiah comes, he's going to take away the heart of stone that's, that is basically um, plaguing everybody in the kingdom of God, and he's going to give them a heart of flesh, 
so that they might actually follow the word of God. And here we see it being told about this man named Caleb. He says, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land which he went. Now this different spirit, theologically speaking, is something that has come from God's spirit so that he might fully follow in the footsteps of God. And we're going to see some more about the Spirit's, um, the Spirit's influence in the obedience of the people of God. Um, so, number four, if you're going to write something down, the Spirit brings about obedience in the Old Testament. Okay? It's a prophetic for the New Testament that the people will be given a heart of flesh so that they might have the law of God written on their hearts, that they might follow it and obey it. For up till that point, then the people of God have had a heart of stone towards the ways of God, towards the law of God, and they have not obeyed it. Every man has always been doing that which was right in his own eyes. But there are a select few people in the Old Testament who actually had, a, like, like you said about, see about Caleb, a different spirit within them than the rest of the nation. And they actually followed God. And we're going to um, look at in this number five that we're going to be looking at. Uh, if you just turn over a few pages to Numbers chapter 27, we're going to see that the Spirit came upon men and women who were to lead the nation in obedience to God. So number, Numbers chapter 27, who would like to read, well, let me, I'll go ahead and take a turn, 15 to 20. Numbers 27, 15 to 20 says, Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, Appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand upon him. Make him stand before the Eleazar the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight." You shall invest him with some of your authority, that they all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. So we see here that Joshua, we talked about Caleb, now we're talking about Joshua, who again was a person who had a different spirit, and he was given the Holy Spirit so that he might lead the nation according to the ways of God. So we see here that the Spirit is given to people in order that they might lead other people in obedience to God's word and God's law in the Old Testament. So the Spirit still brought about obedience in individuals. The Spirit led individuals to lead other individuals to obey God in the Old Testament. Because the Spirit himself was not given to every single individual, necessarily. At least not in this way. Okay? But he is given to leaders so that they might lead other people to follow God in his, according to his law. And we see this again in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. 1 Samuel 16 to 13. If somebody would like to look that up and read that for us. 1 Samuel 16, 13. Okay, so in this situation, we see what happening. 
What's going on in this passage? Do you know the context of this verse? David is anoint, being anointed to be the king. Do we really know a whole lot about David at this point? Okay, he killed Goliath. I mean, that happened in chapter 17. Yeah, he's just a young shepherd boy. <laughs> Not really a significant individual, right? He's the youngest of his family. He hasn't really done anything huge at this point. At least nothing that has hit the news. Right. We don't know about his bear and mm-hmm. his incident. Right. Doesn't make national news. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And right after that, the Spirit of the Lord departs from Saul. So we know that the Spirit of the Lord was actually on Saul at one point. But remember, Saul was rejected from being king because of his disobedience. These kings of Israel, Saul and then David, were given the Holy Spirit so that they might lead the people according to the will of God for the nation, right? So here in this situation, Samuel is in an act of anointing somebody else to be king in Saul's place because Saul's been rejected because of disobedience and because he has rejected his position in leading the people in obedience to God. The throne is being given to somebody else, somebody who is humble, some poor shepherd boy who really has no name other than being in the lineage of Boaz and Ruth. That's really his only claim to anything. Um, which at that point, this point in time, who, who knows if that was even really a big deal. Um, so David is anointed to be king, and once he is anointed to be king, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And even though he hasn't really taken over the rule of Israel at this point, the Spirit of God is still upon him, probably at this point, to prepare him to be king when the time comes for him to be king. And you can see the next, for the next several years, it's, it's several years before David actually becomes king at this point. But after that, we see David being divinely inter, inserted into service to Saul himself. Saul doesn't know that David is the next king yet. <laughs> nobody really, for some reason, nobody really seems to know that David is anointed, has been anointed to be the next king. I'm not sure how that exactly happened, but he's divinely put into the service of Saul. He confronts Goliath and kills Goliath, has this great victory, and all these other things start happening in preparation of making David the king of Israel and gaining the respect of the nation. And then in, in several years later, he actually becomes king and is, is the iconic king of Israel for the rest of Israel's history up until the Messiah. Um, and the Messiah himself is always prophesied as being of the throne of David. <laughs> the th- it's all about the throne of David, the lineage of David, the promise given to David. Um, so we see that the Spirit came upon men and women, and this is just a couple instances where we're, where we're looking at, just showing that the Spirit of God came upon men and women who were to lead the nation according to the will of God and obedience to God. Now, we're out of time for tonight. We have many more things to talk about in this subject, um, but we're not going to keep going. We need to move on to prayer. But are there any questions or comments you'd like to make at this point? 
Usually I try to make Wednesdays a little bit more interactive, but the nature of this subject today is, is, more, is more appropriately a, a lecture, I suppose you could say. Um, yeah, maybe because it didn't make any sense. People didn't know what to do with this information. Like, this isn't what you don't choose the youngest, you know, you choose the oldest. What could this possibly mean? <laughs> yeah, perhaps that's something. Yep, that's a good point. And Maybe they understood if they did break it up that Saul would have been killed. Yeah. That would have mm-hmm. kind of subdued the uh, enthusiasm. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Probably not. Mm-hmm. Right. And you wonder too, like, why didn't David talk about it? Like, when he was inserted into the, into the, lineage, into the service of Saul, when he killed Goliath and... <laughs> Like he never brought up anything about, yeah, I was anointed by Samuel back, you know, a couple years back. Um, so it's kind of makes sense for me to be here right now because kind of need to do an internship <laughs> before I become king. Right, right. You know, so that, that's something that I, that about that story that always, I always came to mind. Like, huh, I wonder why nobody made a big deal about that. But anyway, uh, we have to, anything else you'd like to bring up before we move on to prayer? All right. Well, before we um, finish, the, hopefully we'll finish this today. We'll see how the Spirit leads. <laughs> um, but let's pray. Let's seek the Lord's guidance as we dive into um, this subject. Once again, uh, where was the Spirit in the Old Testament? Lord, I thank You for being good to us. Thank You for always giving us more grace. More grace than we even know that we have. Lord, I just pray that You would humble us before Your Word, that Your Word would truly be our authority, that we would believe what Your Word speaks, and that we would submit ourselves to it, whether we like it or not. Um, I just I pray, Lord, that You would reign over us, that we would walk in submission to You, not so that Your will would necessarily be done, for, Lord, You are sovereign, whether we recognize it or not, but so that we might enjoy the union with You and glorify You ourselves, as you are seeing your purposes laid out throughout time. Um, I just pray for your guidance in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are here on number eight, or number nine. We, we ended with number eight last time, uh, last uh, time we met on this subject. Um, and today we're going to pick up with number nine. The Spirit convicted the people of sin... Through prophets. Uh, somebody look up Micah 3.8. Somebody else look up Second Chronicles 24.20. And let's read these together. Micah 3.8. Whenever you get there, just start reading. As for me, however, I am filled with power by the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and courage, to proclaim to Jacob his rebellion and to Israel his sin. Okay, so what is that verse telling us? What do you see there uh, that Micah is trying to get across as it relates to the Holy Spirit? If you were to put it in your own words. The Spirit of the Lord is going to make the 
the uh, message effectual. Okay. Right. So the Spirit of the Lord is going to make the message that He is giving Micah to be effectual. It's going to mean something because it's coming from the Spirit of God. It's not just Micah saying some things. Right? It's the Spirit actually testifying to the will of God. I mean, people can say a whole lot of things, right? Whether they're right, whether they're wrong. People can encourage people and be wrong in their encouragement. We see a lot of people telling people, no, you're fine, you're fine, you can, do, you can do that, you can sin in this way, it's fine if you live like that. God will still love you, and they're wrong in how they encourage you. You can also rebuke people wrongly because you think you know better than they do, but you haven't really thought it out, perhaps, and perhaps things just aren't going the way you like them, so you, you speak as though you're speaking, you pull out some verses and you tell people the way it is, and you could be wrong in doing that, too. Because it's just coming from you and your opinions, your thoughts, the extent of human wisdom, right? But you could still be wrong. But here, what's the difference? Is Micah doing that? Is Micah doing one of those things where he's just kind of speaking from his own insights? All right, Tucker, you got it right. He's not. <laughs> he's not speaking according to his own insights. Who is he speaking according to? The Bible. The, yeah, the Bible. Okay, the Spirit is telling him what is true. And Micah is transmitting to the people what God Himself, through the Spirit of God, wants them to know. So every word that's going to come out of Micah's mouth is going to be the words of God. Micah may have not even considered the things that he's about to speak from God. He hasn't even, the message that he's about to transmit to these people, perhaps he's never even thought about these things. Maybe he never even saw these sins that the people have been committing. But God is telling him, Tell the people what I'm about to say. I'm giving you my spirit, and the spirit will give you the words to speak to these people, to rebuke them specifically for their transgressions, for how they have broken the law. You're going to reveal it to them because I, the Lord, see it all. So the Lord sees it all, and the spirit is telling the people their sins through the prophet Micah. And he's saying, he's saying, this is not for me. He's saying, I'm filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord. He's not just saying, you know, I'm a powerful person. I'm a dynamic person. Listen to me, because I have really strong opinions. <laughs> you know, isn't it kind of funny? You go to the supermarket or whatever. Who usually gets the deal? The person who is quiet or the person who makes an uproar? <laughs> you know, the, the loud person gets what they want. The person who just throws a fit, they get what they want, because they just kind of give in, right? But they may not even be right about it. They're just, they have a strong will. They have a strong opinion about it. And they're going to see it through because they are strong-willed. They are dynamic. But the person who might actually be in the right, yet they be meek and mild, they may not get justice in the supermarket. <laughs> what? Yeah, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. That's a great way of <laughs> putting it. <laughs> exactly. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. But Micah is not being a squeaky wheel. He's not the dynamic person because he's a dynamic person. He says, I have power. I am filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord. Okay, And the Spirit of the Lord has given him a sense of justice and might so that he might declare to Jacob, the, you know, the people of God, the people of Israel, his transgression and to Israel his sin. Okay, So he's giving him and under these insights of justice, the insights of might straight from the Spirit, not just from his own mental concoctions. 
So, so we see here in the Old Testament, one of the things that the Holy Spirit did was he convicted of people of sin through the prophets. So who has Second Chronicles 24.20? It's okay. Okay. And I kind of like the way he, he says this. He says, the spirit of the Lord clothed Zechariah. He overcame him. He came upon him. You can almost, it's almost a sense where Jesus was being baptized and the spirit of the Lord came upon him as a dove. Um, he clothed Zechariah and he stood above the people. He stood up because now, because the spirit was upon him, he had something to say. <laughs> you ever ha- have you ever had that? I mean, I'm not saying that you are writing scripture per se, but have you ever had a situation where, you know, you're just kind of sitting there, there's nothing going on in your spirit, but then all of a sudden you're just really passionate about something and you have to have this conversation with somebody. You don't know where it came from, you weren't even really thinking about it, but all of a sudden, maybe maybe you're in the middle of a conversation with somebody, and all of a sudden you just are filled with this um, message that you have to talk to this person about and it's effectual. You end up having a really great time of mentorship, discipleship, whatever you want to call it. Not because you were all of a sudden smarter than you were 10 minutes ago, but because the Spirit came upon that conversation. Well, in a sense, this is the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah. This is a different sense, okay, because here he's writing Scripture in a way. Uh, but he's not really saying anything revelatory. He's not telling the future. He's saying something... He's giving a rebuke to the people that the, the people could and should have known. He says, Thus says the Lord, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, He has forsaken you. I mean, that was all, I mean, those terms were already in the law. They were already written down. If you follow me, I will be with you. If you obey my commandments, I will prosper you. If you forsake me, I will forsake you. If you sin and transgress the law... I will see to it that you do not prosper. In fact, the opposite of prospering will come upon you if you forsake me in my ways. That was already in the terms of the law. He's not saying anything new here. But the Spirit of the Lord has a message for Zechariah to remind the people, to tell them point blank, because of your sin, because you have forsaken the Lord, He has forsaken you. He is convicting them of their sin. He is charging them with guilt. Because of their sin. And he's doing this by the Spirit of God. Any questions or comments? <laughs> right? <laughs> so does the, message, does the message always benefit the messenger? I mean, how many... I mean, there weren't that many people in the New Testament especially who weren't... The writers of the New Testament who weren't killed because they spoke true words by the power of the Spirit... Just because, this, just because what you're saying is true doesn't mean people are going to receive it. Just because the Spirit of the Lord has given the message doesn't mean that it's going to be received well and that it will go well with you for actually saying it. <laughs> most people rejected Christ. Why do we think that most people won't reject us? I mean, these are things that are laid out for us. We have the testimony of many who have gone before us who have been given a message of mercy and repentance, a message of peace from God 
But yet, people still rejected it. People still rejected it. And that message from the early believers came with a lot of manifestations of power from the Holy Spirit, miracles and wonders. But yet, this people still rejected it. Yet we, you know, yet we think, well, if it's, I mean, that's going to be a tough conversation to have, like to speak the word of God. Okay, so these people are being given the word of God by the Spirit. We have the word of God in our hands. We can still give this to people and say, thus saith the Lord, because the Lord has said this. Because I'm, I'm saying it to you, what the Lord has said to me. <laughs> you know? But anyway, that's kind of off subject. Let's go to number 10. The Spirit dwelled among the people. Haggai, or as one of my professors would say, it's Haggai. Not Haggai. <laughs> um, Haggai, I, like, I still like to say Haggai. 2, 4 to 5, so shoot me. Haggai 2, 4 to 5, if somebody would like to read that. Okay, so he's saying his spirit is among his people. The spirit of God dwelt among the people. I mean, we think about the, 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 the spirit of God dwelling among the people as dwelling among us being kind of a New Testament thing. Of course, in the New Testament, we have more of an emphasis on in the people, in each individual person. In the Old Testament, we have the spirit of God dwelling particularly... And, you know, and this is you can get into a lot of different conversations. But in the temple, right? That's where the presence of God was in the temple. People came to the temple to worship and to sacrifice and things like that. But nevertheless, I mean, that the God who dwelt among them was the Holy Spirit. Well, not just this abstract sense of God. You know, sometimes that's the problem. That's kind of the one of the good points about talking about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Is sometimes we think about the Old Testament God as like this... This God who doesn't really have any identity, he's just God. You know, um, We don't think about the triune Godhead, we don't think about Jesus, we don't think about the Father. We don't, we, well, we kind of think about everything in the Old Testament is the Father, and then in the New Testament we get to the Spirit and Jesus. But really, we see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And that's kind of why one of the important things that we need to see here is that the triune God is actually in the Old Testament, even Jesus. Which is another conversation. There's not just an abstract concept of God that appears in the Old Testament. It's Father, Son, and Spirit that appears and works through the people. A specific designation is not always given. Sometimes it is just the name of God, Yahweh, um, Elion, or um, you know, one of the various names of God um, as he would apply to an attribute of himself. But, so the Spirit dwelled among the people. Any questions on that? Okay, number 11, the Spirit performed works of wonder through people. Now, this is just, a, this is just one, one person that I have listed here. Um, you could see many different works of wonder in the Old Testament. But Judges chapter 14, verse 6, and 15, verse 14. Somebody would like to look up those. Okay, and who is that talking about, Ethan? Samson, right. In 1514. 
toward him, shining the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Right, and so we, yeah, Samson again. Exactly, the same, same one, you know, he's the same guy who prayed to God and destroyed the temple with all the Philistines in it. You know, we, we can't think about Samson as being, Samson was strong, Samson was mighty. No, it was the Spirit, he, was only, he only had that strength when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Because we see here, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and then he did these things. It's quite possible that Samson was not strong all the time, <laughs> just when he needed to do something for God and his people. It's very because we see here individual situations where the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. I mean, can you think about you know somebody who's that strong all the time, you know, picking up a pitcher of water and it's just always breaking because he's just too strong, <laughs> you know? You know, it's the Spirit of the Lord coming upon Samson, and that's what gave him his strength. It wasn't that God just made Samson strong; it was the Spirit was on him, and the Spirit was strong through him. So we need to keep giving the glory to God, not Samson, for the strength. So that's just one situation where the Spirit performed a work of wonder through somebody. Um, there are different, different places where we see people doing works of wonder through the Holy Spirit, but I didn't want to dwell too much on that um, during this study. So weren't there things that Sam, Samson's parents weren't supposed to do what he was mm-hmm. supposed yep. to do? And that right. Strength, right? Yeah, and that, right. Because no, no, what, drink? No, Right. And he couldn't cut his hair, right, right, Nazarite vow, Nazarite vow, yeah. Yep, and those were some of the terms as far as I'm going to work upon, work in you as long as you keep these terms, because this is a vow that you're making, and we can, you know, I, honestly, I need to brush up on what the Nazarite vow all entailed and the history of it and all that type of thing, but needless to say, he, this vow, he was supposed to be a Nazarite from birth, and he had limitations, and that was part of the power that God gave him. Number 11. Sorry, number 12. The Spirit gave men wisdom and the interpretations of dreams. Genesis 41, and that's supposed to be 38 to 39, not 38 to 38. Uh, Genesis 41, 38 to 39. If someone could read that for us. And if someone else could turn to Daniel 4.18. We'd like to read Genesis 41, 38 to 39. And Pharaoh said unto his servant, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all these, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Okay, so where did Joseph get his wisdom from and the interpretation of dreams from? The Spirit of God, yes. Even Pharaoh acknowledged it. He wasn't even a Jew. <laughs> he even acknowledged it because he saw that Joseph could do something that none of the rest of his wise people could do. And we see that in, we see the same kind of a situation in Daniel 4.18. Um, if somebody wants to read Daniel 4.18. This dream I saw, the Spirit as 
So this is another Gentile, another um, king of another nation, recognizing that somebody is working the works of God by God's Spirit. Now, do, they, do you think they were indoctrinated as far as the difference between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit when they're saying these things? But it's really, I mean, they're recognizing that the Spirit of whoever their God is, in fact, in many cases, in a couple of different cases in Daniel, um, the nations were, supposed, you know, were told by their king to worship the God of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because of that God, their God's manifestations. And here, there you have the manifestation of interpretations of dreams and wisdom being given through the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon these people. And in fact, it's pretty funny because there was, you know, at, in this situation, we didn't, we're not reading the whole story, or maybe it was a situation prior to this. Well, one of them, um, Daniel actually was very nervous because King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and nobody could interpret his dream. So he sent out a decree to all the land that all of his wise people, all of his magicians were to be put to death because they were all stupid and they couldn't figure out his dream. So he's just going to wipe the slate and get rid of them all. <laughs> So Daniel stands up and he says, wait, I'll tell you the dream. <laughs> um, and then he goes to his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and says, let's pray because I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> Which is pretty funny uh, because that just shows that he didn't know what the dream was. He was just trusting that God would spare them. And then the Spirit of the Lord came to Daniel, revealed the dream, not just the interpretation of the dream, but the actual dream that he gave Nebuchadnezzar. And he was able to interpret the dream, spare many lives, and he actually turned Nebuchadnezzar's heart toward his God for a period of time. Um, all because of the Holy Spirit manifesting himself in power through the, through the people of God. Now, Nebuchadnezzar you know, didn't always stay faithful to that, but nevertheless, it was a light to the Gentiles to see these manifestations um, of wisdom and interpretations of dreams given to the people of God being revealed to the outsiders. Um, so, any questions or comments about that? So, this is something that the Spirit of God is doing in the Old Testament. It's where some, a place where He shows up. Okay, 13 then. Number 13, the Spirit gave prophetic ability both long-term and short-term. Numbers 11.25 I'll read 1 Samuel 19. Somebody else can read Numbers 11.25. Play nice. <laughs> then the Lord descended in the cloud and spoke to him. He took some of the spirit that was on Moses and placed the spirit on the 70 elders. As the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they never did it again. So that's a short-term ability from the Holy Spirit where, okay, so Moses, we see a long-term ability, that a spirit of, the Spirit of God placed upon Moses. I don't know how all this works, to be honest. It's pretty mysterious to me. But he took some of that spirit that he had given Moses and actually took that spirit and spread it amongst some other people so that they could prophesy for a short period of time, but then they were done. They didn't do it ever again. There was a purpose behind all of that. But we see here the Spirit of God was given to some individuals for a short-term purpose. 
Um, it wasn't just. It wasn't like we think about spiritual gifts today, where it's like you give, you're given this gift, you're supposed to utilize that gift throughout your whole life. But we see the spirit here, kind of giving little short-term, kind of shotgun shots to people of his spirit, where they could act in a miraculous way for a short term, and then they were done, and they never did it again. But in First Samuel 19, we see another situation in verses 23 and 24. It says. And he went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him. So this is talking about Saul. Came upon him also, and he went and he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and they and lay naked all the day and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? So here's another situation, kind of like Moses, where Moses had a long-term gift of prophecy. These other people had a short-term gift of prophecy. Here we have a situation where King Saul was given a short-term gift of prophecy versus Samuel and these other prophets in Naoth. If you read the whole story, there's a town, it's kind of a little town of prophets where they kind of lived and prophesied. I don't really know all the details about how all that worked. But you have these prophets who were prophets. That's who they were. That's what their life was. You have Samuel, who was also a prophet and a uh, priest and a judge. Um, but we have that they had long-term gifts of prophecy, where Saul, King Saul, is given a very short-term gift of prophecy. Um, but in either case, the Spirit enables the gift of prophecy in these people here in the Old Testament. Is there any questions or comments about that? Otherwise, I don't think we need to dwell on it too long. But if you have a question or comment, please feel free to ask or mention something. Okay, and then number 14. Now, this is an interesting one. And I'd actually readjust, re, reconstructed this one, and then I forgot to print off the reconstructed version of the number 14, how it's, how it's stated. Um, but here it's stated, the Spirit of God, this, this Holy Spirit performs all of God's will. Now, look at Isaiah 61.1. And specifically, this is a Messianic passage um, talking about the Messiah that would come. Also, something... Um, that is stated by Isaiah, but it's prophetic about the Messiah. Um, the Spirit would perform all of God's will through the Messiah who would come, um, which, is also, which is actually, for some people, is kind of a profound statement because we think of Jesus performing all the Lord's will versus the Holy Spirit performing God's will through Jesus. But let's read this passage real quick. Let's, let's read the verses 1 and 2. Um, he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. And then we could keep going on, but let's just stay there for a second. These things that Jesus came and did... I mean, what, was, what happened when John the Baptist baptized Jesus? Concerning the Spirit. The dove came. The Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. Why would the Spirit of God need to come upon Jesus, the Son of God, if Jesus was just going to do it all in his own power? And, you know, we only see one in, besides the birth of Jesus. That was a miraculous situation. But besides that, we only see one thing where Jesus appears prior to his baptism, and that is when he showed up in the temple and he's learning. He's learning like a child learns. 
He's talking, he's interacting with the people in the temple, the teachers in the temple. Learning and asking questions and seeking things out just like a child would learn. Because that was part of his, his manifestation of the flesh. That was part of his incarnation. Is that he became a human being and had to learn and grow like a human being. And then the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him when it's time for him to go and do the Lord's will. So that now he is initiated in his work and he's empowered in his work because he became a human. He is fully God and certainly he could have retained the power to do these things himself if he wanted to. But part of his incarnation, part of the profundity of his incarnation was he cast that off and he walked according to the same spirit that he was planning to give each one of us. And we talked about that more extensively at the beginning of the book of Matthew, when literally the first few weeks where, when um, me and my family came here. But he's saying, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to do these things that he sent me to do according to his will. To bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, etc., etc., etc. Now, is there any questions or comments you'd like to make about that? Because when, I mean, because honestly, that is a kind of this is kind of a, a confusing teaching that people can differ on. Because whenever Jesus does something, it doesn't always say the Spirit did it. Sometimes you just say, "Well, Jesus did this. Jesus did that. Jesus did this." But here is the initiatory work of the Spirit coming upon him to walk with him to do through him the will of the Lord as he's going about for those three years of his ministry. And that same Spirit. Jesus says, I'm going to go away, and it's better for you that I go away, because the Spirit is actually going to come upon you, and you're going to do greater things than I did. Jesus said that. How? Because of the Spirit of God. I'm going to add a great significance since he was the old hometown kid standing up there and talking to you. Mm -hmm. So it's not just who you, who you think I am. I'm right. just this hometown boy. Mm -hmm. The Spirit of God is yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. So, he set the record straight from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then they took him out and tried to kill him. Right. Prophet is never received in his own hometown, right? <laughs> and I can't remember, but at the wedding, that was supposed to be his first miracle, mm -hmm. and Mary said, do whatever, whatever he tells you. Had she seen him do anything? Uh, it's not recorded in scripture. I don't know. And uh, you would assume that she had seen signs in him. So it's possible that he had performed some sort of signs in the previous to that. Otherwise, why would Jesus have said, my time has not come? That gives sort of an inference into Mary's statement saying, hey, reveal yourself. You know, and Jesus is saying, hey, it's not my time yet. But then he goes ahead and he does it. He does something miraculous. So it is likely that Mary did know that Jesus was sent by God to be the... I mean, she knew the... She remembered very clearly the virgin birth. <laughs> That's not something you just forget, <laughs> right? Well, and what she was told. And what she was told by the angel Gabriel. That's not just something that, oh, I've, oh yeah. Let me look back at my picture books and see if I can re recall some of this stuff. You know, that's not something that you are likely to forget. <laughs> um, so, I mean, and she hid it all in her heart. She was a dweller. You know, she wasn't much of a speaker. She was a dweller. She dwelled on these things and hid them in her heart and considered these things. 
So she knew that there was something special about her son. Maybe she didn't know the extent of it all. She just had, she had a very, uh, very interesting snippet from the angel Gabriel um, that gave her a lot to think about. Um, but she at least knew that he was here to be their savior in some way. <laughs> so, and I don't know why she chose that moment to tell Jesus to go and manifest himself. I don't know why she chose that moment. Maybe she had been there at the baptism of John the Baptist and maybe she was with him and heard about the Spirit of God descending upon him and maybe she realized, hey, maybe it's his time now. Maybe it's time for him to go and do something now. Maybe it's time for him to manifest himself as the Messiah. I don't know. These are all speculations because the scriptures don't actually say, but we can, you know, something to dwell on. Yeah, I'm sure we will. (laughs) I'm sure we will. Yeah. Well, so maybe I'm... Is, that, is that in Luke? Or was it just they were amazed at his questions? They were amazed at his questions. I know that's inside. there. Right. I know that it says that they were amazed at his, an, his answers. And his, you know, it's showing how insightful he was as a young boy. Um, yeah, here it is. Luke 2, 41. Now the, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover... When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. Now let's move down here. After three days, in verse 46, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So, um, so yeah, just how he was responding and how he was putting things together was way beyond his years um, is, the, is kind of what that's... Inferring, I suppose. He was God. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> he had a leg up. He had a leg up, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. And that is still something. Like the degree as far as how much of the Godhood of Jesus, how that impacted his life, and the manhood of Jesus, how that impacted his there are volumes that talk about that, and this is not really the time and place to really get into all of that, but needless to say, in Isaiah sixty one one the Holy Spirit had a huge part in the, in the will of God being carried out through Jesus from the very beginning. Is there anything else you'd like to mention or ask? I mean, in verse 35 of Luke chapter 1, he says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child will be born. So even the Holy Spirit had something to do in his, even the incarnating of his incarnation. <laughs> Several times, people tried to push him into doing something. His mother was actually doing a little pushy there, mm-hmm. trying to be authoritative. Yeah. And, and he says, my time is not yet, but just a little bit he does. His mm-hmm. brother said, you need to go down there and reveal yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, my time is not yet. Yeah, right. Later, he goes. And I like there's some place, I think it's in John, I think it's in John, where he says that he, couldn't, he would not reveal himself yet because he knew what was in the heart of man. He knew that the heart of man could not accept what was going on right now. Not in its fullness. He had to play, the, he had to play it all out. Even to the point of death. <laughs> Shall we say the authority of the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit, and not under these humans? You know, mm-hmm. uh, you need to be king. We'll make him king. That was another time. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. After he had fed the people. Right. Nope. He had to play it all out. He, they needed to see him as the suffering savior. Because that is the fulfillment of prophecy. That is the will of the Lord. To suffer and die, not to just become king who feeds thousands from loaves and fishes. And overcomes the Roman government. Anyway, anything else? Great discussion, great comments and questions. Discussing the subject of where was the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And last week we did a few of them. We went down to, um, let's see here, number five, I believe, made it through number five. The Spirit came upon men and women who were to lead the nation in obedience. Uh, Before we continue on with this study, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask His wisdom as we try to learn about who He is. Um, Let's make sure He has some input on the matter. Uh, Lord, thank you for this gathering here. Though it is small, Lord, you are still among us. And you love each person in this room. And you are interested in a relationship with each person that's in this room. Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, as we get to know him, as we get to know you through him, his ways, uh, his benefits, his passion, his will, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to keep in step with the Spirit. Um, Just give us wisdom as we look into who you are. I pray that you would be among us, um, giving us guidance as we go out walk through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so our number, I believe we're on number six here, Psalm 139. We'd like to go there real quick here. And this was, just as a reminder, one of the responses to a question that was asked at the very beginning when we started this whole um, discussion about the Holy Spirit. Um, Somebody had asked, well, what was the Holy Spirit's role in the Old Testament? Well, we're looking kind of at right now, we'll we'll do more of a systematic approach to his role um, after we get through this list here. But this is basically just walking through some details, like where can we find the Spirit in the Old Testament? Uh, Where do we see Him being brought up? Where do we see Him being an active part in people's lives in the Old Testament? And what did His activity in those Scripture passages look like? What was He doing? And this this will kind of help us as we get to more of a systematic approach later as we kind of put the whole together, um, discuss what really the role of the Holy Spirit was in the Old Testament. And then we'll discuss if if there are any differences between his role in the Old Testament and his role in the New Testament, um, and see if there are any differences. We're going to kind of do a juxtaposition there. But now we're just basically going step by step through discovering him um, appearing in different stories in different people's lives in the Old Testament. Psalm 139, uh, verse 7 through 10. If somebody can uh, read that for us. Okay, so as the number six is the heading for number six is the Spirit was there to individually guide those who followed God, and as we see in number in verse seven, the very first sentence is, "Where shall I go from your Spirit?" 
The Spirit was there, and then he goes on to talk about, I can't go anywhere where you are not. You will always lead me. You will always hold me by your Spirit. We talk about that as part of being part of our life in a New Testament world. Well, he was kind of like that in the Old Testament world too. He was there to lead and uphold his people, his followers, the people of God. Where shall I go from your Spirit? We can still say that today, um, just as... Um, David said that way back in the day. Now look at look also at Romans chapter eight verses twenty six to twenty eight. If somebody could read that for us. And I just wanted to point out, we, um, we, most of us know verse 28 pretty well. We know that all things, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. We know that verse, but do we know that the Spirit is actually attached to how that actually plays out? Now this is New Testament, but it's, just, it's echoing what we just read in the book of Psalms. And I just wanted to point this out since we're talking about this, that it's the Spirit who is there groaning, interceding, um, do performing the will of God um, on our behalf, for He, being one with God, knows the will of God and is there with us to make sure everything works out for good according to the will of God for those who follow Him, for those who love the Lord. So we see Him working the same way here as He did in the Old Testament. Where can I go? You're always there to lead me. You're always there to guide me. We can still say that. Spirit is there to lead us, to guide us, not according to our will, but according to the will of God. Sometimes we can have a little bit of confusion in our hearts and in our minds because we are doing something, we think it's a really good thing, we have great intentions and all these types of things, and we're praying that this thing will work out, but then things just aren't working out. And we're wondering, why in the world is this not coming together? Well, perhaps, I mean, I don't know the will of God in that situation, but perhaps it's because you aren't really trying to walk in step with the Spirit, you're just hoping that the will of God is your will too. <laughs> that if you will it, then God will will it too. When we actually need to look into the Word of God, see what the will of God is, and go do that will. And as we're doing that will that we already see in the Scriptures, then the Lord will bless us in our ways, because we're doing His will. And the Spirit guides us in that journey. Um, now let's move. Any questions or comments? Okay, number seven, the Spirit taught, led, and sustained the nation of Israel in the wilderness. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah 9, 20 to 21, and verse 30, if someone could read those for us. Thou 
gave us also thy good spirit to instruct them, and withheld us not thy manna from their mouth, and gave us that water for their thirst. Yea, forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness, so that they lacked nothing. Their clothes waxed not old, and their feet swollen not. Yet many years didst thou forbear them, and testified us against them by the Spirit in the prophets. Yet would they not give ear, therefore gavest thou them into the hand of the people of the land. So in this situation, where do we see the Holy Spirit popping up? While they were wandering in the wilderness. What do you see him doing there in these, men, in these different verses? He provided for them. What did he provide for them? What did he give them? Food. He gave them food. What? Food. The clothing. clothing. Didn't wear out. The clothing didn't wear out. Sustained them physically. Right? Sustained them. Gave them the instruction that they needed. In the very beginning of verse 20, he instructed them. And he warned, it says in verse 30, that he war- through the Spirit that he warned the people by the prophets. You know, it wasn't necessarily the prophets warning the people to cause it wasn't necessarily just Moses rebuking the people when they would be complaining or whatnot. No, it was the Spirit urging the people through Moses and the prophets throughout the history of Israel. Really, this is more this is focusing on the wilderness wanderings. And he was patient. He was patient with them, right? Yeah. Right. They grieved the Spirit, right? Because they didn't listen. They were more concerned about what they wanted than the ways of God. They wanted more. God was providing for them, right? But they weren't satisfied, even though we know from Scripture that God is to be our satisfaction, but they refused to let God be their satisfaction. Even though the Spirit provided everything that they needed for them, He instructed them so that they would know the way that they should walk in, and they, he would warn them through the prophets when they would start si- going sidetracked, we get sidetracked from the ways that he had already instructed them. So the Spirit was there all through the wilderness wanderings, guiding them, protecting them, providing them the way and the means to follow God. So they lacked nothing. They lacked nothing. For 40 years, they lacked nothing. They literally lacked nothing <laughs> in any way. They had the knowledge, they had the instruction, and they had the means, okay? But they still had their stony hearts. (laughs) So they constantly pushed against the will of God and continued to complain, to murmur, and fight, fight against Him. Any questions or comments on that? This comment's not too much different than today. Right. We have a need for nothing. Right. We have the instruction that's been given by the Spirit, right? Through the apostles, the prophets. And he's given, now the Spirit actually lives within us so that we can <laughs> have a heart like Christ. We can. So get out of our way. But this kingdom of the world has such a hold, such, such an effect on us. We cling to it rather than to the Spirit. We would rather work with our own hands than 
just follow the Spirit. <laughs> We'd rather do things our way than let God do things His way. Right. God's ways are confusing because they're the ways that don't really work. Right? Like walking around Jericho. That doesn't, that's not a military strategy. <laughs> God's ways don't work, but they work. You know, that's the, that's, why does the Bible say we walk by faith and not by sight? I mean, if God's ways were always easily discernible and they always were just, they just made sense, well, then why couldn't we just walk by sight? Because that's the way God works. Right. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Right. Without fa- I mean, what was the whole reason the Jewish nation rejected the Messiah? It's because they were walking by sight. They didn't understand how this could be the Messiah. I mean, look at Him. Especially after He was killed on a cross. How in the world could that have been the Messiah? That doesn't make sense. Because they didn't walk by faith. So therefore, they could not please God. And therefore, they, you know, on the flip side also, without faith, you cannot be pleased by God. <laughs> You cannot find pleasure in the ways of God if, if what you're really looking for is something that is pleasing to you. But if you are fully in submission to God and His ways and you follow Him regardless of his, what His ways are, then we can find pleasure in Him. Then we will do His good pleasure. Then we will walk in His will without reservation. You know? This is part of the reason we're doing this study on the Spirit. Because by and large, the American church has no concept of what it means to actually walk in the Spirit. We just do the things that make sense. We, just, we follow what makes sense. We walk with our eyes. We walk with sight. We're not willing to invest our resources into things that don't provide a return. According to the way man deems return. You know, we're not willing to uh, meet the widows and the orphans in their affliction because they don't tithe. <laughs> they don't give anything back. We don't pour into, we don't empty ourselves. We'll only do a transaction where there's give and take. We don't give mercy to the unkind and the, un, to the un, what's the verse? To the wicked and the thankless like God does. We don't do that, though, because there's no return. Because we walk by sight. We don't know how to walk as the Spirit walks. Well, and we walk also by what's acceptable to society. What's acceptable to society. We walk according to the expectations of man. Because we don't actually know what the expectations of God are. Because we aren't searching. And if we know what the expectations of God are, then who cares what man has to say about it? If you, which changes. Which changes. If you know what God wants you to do, then you can do it regardless of what man says. And God will be with you even if man abandons you. That's what Jesus did, right? If we're walking in the ways of the Messiah, then we will find ourselves being abandoned and left on the side of the road every now and then. If we're following the Spirit, He's going to lead us into those, way, into those places. It's not your fault. It's man's fault. You're walking in the Spirit. Rejoice. You can sing in prison. You can rejoice in the Spirit while you're in prison, being abused by man. Remember, who was putting these Christians in prison a lot of the times? It was the religious Jews. 
That's how Paul. That's how Paul started out. All the religious people were putting these Christian zealots in prison because they were walking by faith. They were testifying of what they'd seen and heard, things that were impossible. <laughs> they were testifying it and converting many. Where did the conversions come from? By testifying of the impossible. That's where the conversions came from. They weren't, the conversions didn't come from neatly organized ministries where every T was crossed and I was dotted and everything was, was perfectly financed right from the beginning. And, you know, we had all the volunteers that were necessary right from the beginning and everything was just perfect and neat. That's not where the conversions came from. The conversions came from outbursts of people walking in the Spirit, proclaiming the Word on the streets. It was the working of the Spirit, right. Yes. And that's the whole point, is that it's because these people were walking according to the Spirit. And the Spirit doesn't always organize things out six months in advance. Faith, I mean, you think about that Hebrews. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, right? Faith is a surety of something that you don't see, but you're as sure as if you saw it. Because it's in Christ, because Christ has given you eyes to see by the Spirit. So it's not that we're just blindly following. Some, I mean, we could believe all sorts of nonsense, can't we? There's all sorts of nonsense out there that we could just choose to believe without any foundation, right? Tons of nonsense. I could believe that 4 plus 2 is 12 till the cows come home. That's nonsense. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. No, faith is substance because the Spirit has given you a different kind of seeing. Right? Anything else? Uh, God's idea of a prison ministry is different than the well-organized prison ministries that we have nowadays. Like in Khrushchev's time, if he went to prison ministry, he had a pastor thrown in church. (laughs) (laughs) Throw that pastor in church! Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, right. Some of those things are organized. It doesn't look organized, but it's like you can see the organization of the spirit, not man. Man looks like it's just kind of all falling apart. When really it's all falling together according to the plan of God. That's what that verse is. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. That means, even though we're, our, from my man's perspective, it's all falling apart, but in God's perspective, for those who love God, when it's falling apart, that's the best, that's the best sign that it's actually falling together for something good. Because that's how the Spirit works. 
taking the glory away from man. Okay, because if everything comes according to the plans of man, then where's the glory? Oh, we were just, we just did that so well. We were so organized. We were so on point. We were so smart. We were so educated. How did, God, how did Jesus call the 12 disciples? Did he go to the local seminary? <laughs> he went to the fishing villages <laughs> to go and find the people who would turn the world upside down. Because that's how God works. Right, right. Somebody that nobody would ever like, <laughs> you know. Uh, Lloyd Jones was saying uh, some of what we were saying earlier in his stuff from his viewpoint about 1961 is when he was doing this right, right preaching. Uh, that just because it works doesn't mean it's of the Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. uh, so these guys were coming along and saying, well, if it works, it must be the right thing, you know. Mm -hmm. So we've got these super churches being built. So right, right. Look at the results we're getting. Right. And he said, boy, that's dangerous. Mm -hmm. The utilitarian yeah. of truth, you know, if it works, then it must be true. Yeah. He said, boy, that's, that's dangerous. Right. Well, people are attracted to something that looks like it's all, all working, right? People want to be part of something that works. People don't want to be part, people don't want to get by their tickets to go on a sinking ship. <laughs> Right? You know? But often, God's ways looks like a sinking ship. Well, wasn't that part of what was wrong with the Pharisees? They thought it all, their way was the right way. Right. It's like, ooh, there's somebody here coming to tell the truth. We can't mm -hmm. show him up. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And there's plenty that we could talk to about our responsibility to not cut corners and to not be irresponsible. But I think that we hear that enough. And we don't hear spirit talk enough. So I'm not going to talk about man's responsibility today <laughs> talking about the spirit's role I'm talking about the spirit's work the spirit's responsibility he takes over and we are okay with that well, let's yeah, look at man, yeah. man's responsibility is to be obedient mm -hmm. just quit right there yeah so that's what that, that that's what needs to be the message that, mm -hmm. that we hear and we live by right be obedient to God right it's the only thing we should Right. So the first rule book that we look to for how to run a ministry is the scriptures. They don't, and honestly, the scriptures don't necessarily have a lot of um, manuals for how to run a well-organized prison ministry or set up an orphanage or, you know, things like that. But I think the Spirit works that once we see the burden of God in Scripture and we go out and we try to do His will according to the Spirit, He brings those things together. You know? Do we not believe that God is a sovereign God? That if we are following Christ, like really following Christ, not just wandering around with half-decent intentions, but like really zealously following after Christ doing the will of God as we see it in scriptures, do we think that God is just going to let it all, yeah, fooey? <laughs> God will bring the right people together. God will bring the right thoughts together, the right brainstorming sessions together. He'll bring those things together. We have to walk by faith. We ought not glory in our intelligence, in our abilities, in fact, 
as we're going to see some, somewhere down the line here, it's, you know, that, um, is that God actually gives us the abilities that He wants us to use for His will and for His glory. But let's go on here to number, um, yeah, number eight actually is a very, a very appropriate number to go to. The Spirit prepared the nation for worship through the giving of abilities. Exodus chapter 31, verses 1 through 5. And we can end on this one. Um, Somebody read that for us. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bazel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, and in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to devise cunning works, to work in gold, and in silver, and in brass, and in cutting of stones, to set them, and in carving of timber, to work in all manner of workmanship. Yeah, so we see here, how is the Spirit at work in man here in the Old Testament? What's the Spirit doing through these people? I guess it's just one guy at this point. What did he do? Yeah, God had a vision for a temple. Right, exactly. He gave him just the precise um, abilities to do what God wanted him to do. He wanted him to build a temple, and he gave him the appropriate skill set to build the temple the way God wanted the temple to be built. Right? So the Spirit here is at work gifting this person to aid in the worship of the people, in the the sacrificial system, the worship system of the people, in the building of the temple to make it appropriate for worship. And if you go on, he gave other people mm-hmm. other abilities to help right. this man and what he wanted. Exactly, it keeps going on. He didn't leave them to just, well, you know, do the best you can, I guess. You know, no, he gave them the abilities to do his will, right? And I think that some of us, you know, this is also something we're going to actually see in the New Testament, Holy Spirit, <laughs> you know, um, some of us, well, we, we can do the best we can and just, that's, it's not going to be good enough. But, I mean, that is something that flows out from a misunderstanding of the Spirit. The Spirit will give us the ability to do what He wants us to do. We, what He wants us to do does not necessarily have to be the same thing that He wants another church in New York City to do, right? In our town, the Spirit has given this congregation the abilities to do what He wants us to do. So it's not just, well, we do the best we can with what we have. It's not much. No, we don't talk like that when we believe that the Spirit is within us and the Spirit is guiding us and the Spirit is empowering us to do the will of God. It's there. We walk by faith. We may not think much of ourselves. In fact, that's the way it should be. (laughs) We aren't supposed to think much of ourselves. We're supposed to think much of the Spirit who is within us so that we don't give glory to ourselves and our ways and our abilities, so we give glory to God through His Spirit. So we are supposed to think much of Him and less of us. We're not supposed to think about ourselves at all. We're just supposed to be thinking, the Spirit. what does the Spirit want me to do? What, am I, what does the Spirit want this church to do? 
What is, what is God's guidance here? What has he given me the ability to do? Okay, so he's given me the ability to carve wood and set you know, artistic designs and setting gold, silver, and bronze. Okay, well, I guess God wants me to do something with this. Okay, the temple needs built. God has given me the ability to build it, so I'm going to go and build it. Okay? Okay, I have the, you know, let's say, you know, one of you are thinking, well, okay, so I have the gift of teaching, I guess. I can see the fruitfulness of it. I can see the ability there and how it's borne fruit. Well, I guess God must want me to teach. And it's not even, I mean, well, we're getting off track a little bit, but we'll talk more about the gifts of the Spirit in the weeks to come. But we must put our faith in God. We must not act like atheists who think we're just here on our own. We're just supposed to figure it all out. And do the best we can. That's atheism. The atheism must be purged from the pews. And we must believe that God is actually with us today. And in faith, walking in faith, go out and do His good will. Any other questions or comments before we move on to prayer? We can't have the mindset of, can I fit this into my life? You know, that's, that's also <laughs> unbiblical. That's also the spirit of the Antichrist. Can I fit the will of God into what I'm doing here on this earth? That's carnality. We think, what does God want me to do? Therefore, I will do it. Regardless of how I need to change what's going on in my life in order to go and do it. I mean, how do you think, I mean, just for an example, not, I'm not trying to set us up on a pedestal, but how do you think me and my wife ended up here? You know, from Chicago. Because I wanted to go where God wanted me to go. That's it, you know? God with the prayers of His children here. And the prayers of God's people, you know, and the bond of brotherhood that we felt while we were among you guys, that I believe was put there by the Spirit, you know? And we all have to have that kind of a spirit within us. The spirit of God, a spirit of obedience, a spirit of submission, not just obedience, because a child can obey their parents and yet be furious and dishonoring. With that, what I just said is the awareness of that, that the spirit even within us gave us that desire to pray and saying, well, we might as well. I mean, mm -hmm. those who will, we're going to close the doors. Yeah. You know, it's the spirit guiding and yeah. saying you need to Mm -hmm. Right. Even that little bit. Mm -hmm. Amen. Anything else at the last 